Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Katie. And this is I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. A horror movie podcast. All right. So this evening we're going to talk about the movie It Follows, made in 2014. But at the top, we have a few things we wanted to quickly discuss with our listeners or with each other. Right. And our, and, listeners. and our listeners. Uh, one of those points that is something we didn't really think of or address in our premiere episode about Carrie was uh, the issue of spoilers, which is, you know, a very hot button topic these days. Um, now, with Carrie, it's it should be a non-issue because the story has been around for, you know, 50 years and uh, everybody should kind of know what happens there. Uh, but going forward with some of these movies, if you hadn't seen them, then stuff that we would discuss in this podcast would potentially, quote unquote, ruin the movie for you. Um, so I think that we are in agreement that this is going to be a non-spoiler safe podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with, if you want to watch the movie and don't want to learn anything about it ahead of time, don't listen to our episodes because we are are going to be talking about them fully, including uh, high points and resolutions and surprises and anything of that nature that might potentially ruin the movie for you. So if you are mm-hmm. sensitive to spoilers, then don't listen. Yeah. You can <laughs> watch- don't listen if you've seen the movie. Yeah. Watch it, <laughs> then listen, and then you can decide if our analysis is garbage or not, or if you agree or have opinions or your thoughts. In assistance to that effort, we are going to start informing you with each episode what movie we're going to cover on the following episode so that you can be prepared and watch the movie before you listen to the next episode. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I guess let's go ahead and get started. We are going to talk tonight about It Follows, made in 2014 or released in 2014 and directed by basically unknown director <laughs> David Robert Mitchell this was a an independent film and got kind of uh, financing and was a kind of a smash not a smash it didn't make hundreds of millions of millions of dollars but it made a it was an unexpected hit oh yeah yeah because he wrote it as well he wrote it and directed it yeah and he he's from I think he's from Detroit and just from like, Detroit. yeah. And so the movie's shot there and because it's a place that's, you know, kind of close to him and his yeah. childhood. So that would make sense that he would uh, shoot the movie, movie there, but very John Hughes of him. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to quickly, I, I, I wanted to do a synopsis quick, but it, it does go into detail. I promise it's not going to be like 10 minutes. I'll, I'll try to keep it down to like two. So I'm just going to quickly do a recap of the film. So, um, you know, in case you watched the film and with, are listening to it, it's not, you know, you haven't, you'll be caught up. So uh, this movie is about college student Jamie, or Jay is her nickname, Height. Uh, she has a new boyfriend named Hugh. She's excited about going to the movies with Hugh that evening. She's talking about it with her sister. While in line, Jay tells Hugh about a game that she and her sister used to play when they were out. And they would have to guess who the other person um, would want to trade places with in the crowd. Jay guesses um, Hugh's choice. And then later he tries to guess hers. Uh, And he points out a girl in a yellow dress who is not there. So suddenly he stands up, claims that he doesn't feel well, and they run out um, of the movie theater and have dinner or something instead. And uh, that's the end of their date. Then there is another date, and Hugh and Jay um, have sex in his car. Then Hugh chloroforms her, and she wakes up tied up to a wheelchair. Hugh then tells her that she will be followed. What? Have sex in his car, then he chloroforms her, and she wakes up tied to a wheelchair. It's like I'm a newscaster, kind of. <laughs> Very Dan Rather of I know, you. right? Uh, so she wakes up tied up uh, no, uh, to a wheelchair. Uh, Hugh tells her she's going to be followed or pursued by a sh- an entity that may look like a stranger or someone they know uh, that only she can see. And if it catches and kills Jay, then it will then go back to following Hugh and then on and on for- to the previous person. 
Hugh then sees a naked woman walking slowly towards them. And after Jay sees the entity, he wheels her away um, and leaves her in the street in front of her home. The following day, the police are investigating where Jay was. They're not able to find that naked woman. They're not able to find Hugh. He gave her a false name, we find out. Uh, the next day, Jay is in class. Um and she sees a, an, the entity in the form of an old woman walking toward her. She leaves and enlists the help of her sister, Jamie, and her friends, Paul and Yara. Paul stays at her home, and that night, and the entity breaks the window and enters into the kitchen. Jay runs away with the help of her neighbor, Greg. Greg takes her and her friends to um, find out the real identity of Hugh. They find out that his real name is Jeff, and he tells they find him, and Jay tells Jay, or excuse me, Jeff tells Jay that the curse, um, you know, to get rid of it, she needs to just pass it on. Basically, sleep with someone else. Uh, Jay and company go to Greg's lake house where Greg teaches Jay to shoot a gun and all is calm until the entity arrives in the form of Yara. Jay gets injured, and while um, in the hospital, she sleeps with Greg, passing the curse to him. Days later, Jay sees the entity walking into Greg's home and kills Greg. Jay flees Greg's home, spends the night on the hood of her car, and she wakes uh, on the beach and sees a boat with some men on it. Um, she takes off her top and gets in the water, swimming towards the boat. You kind of assume you know what she's doing. Um then later, Paul offers to take the curse, but after Jay refuses, he comes up with a plan. The group lures the entity to a pool where they are uh, able to successfully kill the enti entity. Paul and Jay sleep together and are last seen walking with a person walking slowly behind them. There you go. That is a, very thorough. A very thorough, I think, yeah, a minute and a half. A real roller coaster. <laughs> it was a, a two minute quick synopsis. Um, but I just, I mean, I had a few questions that I jotted down while watching it that I thought were... Red flags that popped up on the storyline. Well, I was like, I don't know. There are a few things I was like, this is, a make, this is odd. Like, how did Hugh or Jeff, I guess, figure this out? Uh, did he maybe witness something or figure... I don't really know. Like, yeah, I think that that's, that's one of the bigger holes in, in the plot because he specifically says that he believes that he contracted the you know sexually transmitted demon um from a one night stand at a bar so it where was his source of information he said that he didn't even know her name so there was no way for him to to contact her or track her or figure out the story and so we're supposed to assume i guess that he kind of deduced the whole scenario and how this evil uh perpetuates itself on his own and there's there's really no explanation for how he was able to do that. He doesn't seem like a super bright guy. He doesn't seem super bright, but then you, I mean, I didn't really exactly include this in my synopsis. It was kind of hefty and thorough, but they go to his house and he had like cans and bottles in front of the windows. Everything was like yeah. blacked out. Like he seemed like a prepper kind of guy. <laughs> like so. Yeah. Well, was that was so. That was the um, kind of. Uh, safe house that he had created for himself because that that went with his new identity that he used to seduce Jay because as he also pointed out it's a lot easier for a girl to just go out and sleep with someone and pass it on but for a guy it took a little more work mm -hmm. and so he had to create this new identity of Hugh find a girl date her go on several dates with her before he could be in a situation where he could sleep with her. Um, and so when they were first kind of trying to track his origin, when they realized Hugh wasn't his real name, the first home of his that they went to was not his actual house. It's not where they ultimately found him. Mm -hmm. And the, the house where he was staying did have the strings of cans and bottles over the windows to alert him to the approaching of the evil. So that does indicate that he, he did figure out for himself um, that he was being pursued by something. But I think that the, the trickiest thing, if you were going into this with absolutely no forewarning at all, was how the discovering that nobody else can see the thing that you're seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when there are the, when the entity takes its physical form that the pursued person can see walking toward them, nobody else can see that form. Mm -hmm. And 
But initially, you wouldn't necessarily know that anybody else couldn't see that form. And so you would think that the first time they walked up to you would just be the last time because you wouldn't realize anything was wrong. So there, there is a big hole there of, of his, his discovery and, and absorption of awareness of how this evil operates um, that got him to where he was passing it on to Jay. That he even figured out that it, he contracted it by sleeping with somebody as a one night stand. Uh, that's a big leap. How would he have figured that out? Yeah, I think they, I mean, I might be reading too much into it. Maybe it's just like, yeah, there's a, this is how, what happens. And there's an evil entity that chases <laughs> yeah. you. Maybe it's like people in his orbit Maybe were dying. I know. I'm like, well, obviously that's what I need to do. I mean, <laughs> duh. Yeah. Yeah. So that you're right that that is that's um, a, a big suspension of disbelief. There is is the just yeah. the unexplained presence of understanding on his part yeah. of how this evil entity operates. I mean, having said that, I I mean, I love this movie. I think it's so mm-hmm. like original and creative uh it's an independent film this guy just like had he said i looked up a reddit about the director and he talked about how he had like a nightmare where this something was kind of like walking towards him like chasing him Mm -hmm. and that's how he came up with the idea of writing this this movie um Mm -hmm. and i love hearing that when authors or writers are like i just had this really freaky dream and i just had to make a movie about it very original so I guess what else I thought was really cool was just um, like the setting just seemed really ambiguous. It, it felt like it could be any time, really, mm-hmm. which Definitely. I I really enjoyed. I think that in any kind of movie, especially the horror genre, it, it sometimes it, it makes me pause when it's so obviously really old and, and you're like, oh, that's so like, I don't know. It just kind of. Well, it does. It has a big impact in how it makes you feel because you have like the standard big city setting. Is it? Is it New York? Is it something super urban? Um, and that gives you a particular feel in a horror movie. Or is it? You know, the the country house out in the middle of nowhere, and that's spooky in its own way. Um, and so the setting has a huge impact. But for this, because I I did I thought a lot about the the setting as well. It's one of the things that stood out to me. And looking up and seeing that you know a lot of the filming points were in Detroit and in in the general area. And you see multiple occasions in the movie they're at a lakeshore, so you understand that that that's what the lake is. Um, that 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 midwestern setting is it's very suburban, very neutral, um, kind of universal. But you know, for for me growing up in in California, it doesn't really look like home, like my experience of childhood, but it does seem very, it's just very neutral mm-hmm. to that, that suburban Midwestern setting that it's, it's very Halloween to me. That's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's kind of, what yeah, that's sort of the impression I got to have had kind of a Halloween vibe. And then also, um, I have, I wrote this on the other page of my notes here, but the scoring of this movie. Oh, I wrote that down too. The music was fantastic. Yeah. It just seemed very timeless and creepy and just like really amazing. And original. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the standard, basic, scary movie background soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It it really had a personality um, and it was really unsettling without being ridiculous. Exactly. So I just thought it was uh, fantastic. I think that um, one other note I wrote down, it was Yara eats is eating in every single scene (laughs) of the movie. And I mean, I loved her character. I thought she was funny. And um, I'm wondering, I'm like, is this like representative of our our anxiety where she's just eating and that's what I want to do, too, because I'm anxious? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I want to eat a bag of Twizzlers. I'm scared. <laughs> that make me feel better about what I'm watching right now. <laughs> I know, right? And then I think the other part that I wanted to mention, too, was is this movie, is the director, writer making any comparison or par- trying to make a parallel to, um, you know, STDs or, or uh, you know, comparisons to that between that and the entity, like fear for your life or like you could just, mm-hmm. you know, sleep with somebody and suddenly you have death chasing you. I thought that was um, powerful, scary, 
kind of realistic, you know, like, I mean, that would definitely be the first question you would ask if you had a panel with him to be, you know, is that, is that the message that he was trying to send? Because really, I mean, the only difference is that in this case, when you sleep with someone else, you pass it on and you don't have it anymore, which is not the case with actual STIs. Not, not anyone I've heard of. So yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it kills the person you passed it to. And in the movie's case, it then transfers back to you. True. Um, true. So that, that's a problem. So I think, uh, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's a, it's an obvious um, parallel there, but he, we really don't know what he was trying to say with that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either, but just, I think it's up to the viewer to, to kind of interpret yeah. in our own way and what is frightening to us and, you know, what resonates, but Definitely. But I think what is the main question of this podcast? Uh, so I, I guess I can ask you: Did this movie scare you? Did you find it scary? Yeah, I feel like so we saw this one in the theater together. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember if I had rewatched it at any point before I did today. Uh, well, I started it yesterday and I finished it today. Um, it's pretty I short, did, too. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's short. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remembered, I, you know, it left me with an impression the first time of being very, very scary, very well made, very original. Um, and then in rewatching it, trying to really evaluate why I thought it was scary. One of the things I listed, you already mentioned, which was the music, which I felt contributed enormously to um, the feeling of every scene that they were building. Um, and really the, the thing that came through to me, and it was kind of interesting because it's comparing it to something else that's relatively cheesy is this, uh, kind of ominous nature of somebody stalking you and approaching you slowly and steadily. Mm -hmm. Um, as in, because in this movie, every time the entity, you know, catches up with the afflicted, they're just walking toward them. They're, They're not, running they're not rushing in their pursuit of the person it's just a slow and steady walk and what that you know immediately reminds me of is the whole Jason Voorhees Michael Myers like it's just a dun 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 they're just walking they're not chasing you Mm -hmm. it's just a very steady pursuance and really it's it's similar to like old school zombies Mm -hmm. like you know Resident Evil or Walking Dead zombies they can run but old school zombies they just walked and and there was there was something really troubling in that pursuit that was just slow and steady and uh, I wondered that you know this is very existential but is it you know uh, relating to like the inevitability of death you know it just keeps coming no matter what you're no matter what you do it doesn't have to hurry after you because it knows eventually it's going to get you in the end mm-hmm. and so it doesn't to run it doesn't need to rush it just keeps coming without stopping mm-hmm. and that's you know that is that's scary if you're you know trying to like draw on what's the deep down fears that people have um that that is scary it's like it's inescapable it will never stop it's not gonna rush but it's never gonna stop yeah I think that I mean maybe that's what the writer was trying to get put across make everyone scared herpes will follow you it's gonna get you watch out for all the no matter how fast you run it will get you eventually. that gonorrhea is gonna get you it's the clap and it's walking slow i think but you make up a good point like i think that's one of the reasons i have a huge zombie fan i've been i mean as you well know i've been into zombie movies since I was probably, I mean, practically, I was like maybe 12 and I saw Mm -hmm. my first Romero movie and I was like, this makes me so anxious. It made like my stomach do backflips where I was like, I'm so nervous, but like, Mm -hmm. I really want to like get into this. And it was like, I can't remember which movie it was. I think it was Day of the Dead, which is not even very good, but I still loved the movie. Yeah. Um, well, it's the opposite of a jump scare. You know, the yeah. jump scare, like, you know, it startles you and then there's an immediate relief because it's over. And this is like, there, it's relentless. Yeah, there's no... It, um, it stays, the pressure stays on you. Right. There's no... What was I trying to think of? There's no reasoning, 
with it. Oh, yeah. It's just like slowly pursuing you and you can just run away and run away and you can't do anything about it unless you take action, some kind of action, which maybe you are not equipped to do or like you can't really deal with. Yeah, you don't know what action could be necessary. Yeah. And I think that also puts our the character of Jay into kind of a little bit of a, you know. Well, she doesn't seem like the type that would want to per- put someone in harm's way. She seems like a nice. Yeah. She's yeah because a- she doesn't immediately jump on the answer of, oh, just give it to someone else. Yeah. Because like Jeff told her, she could have gone to any bar and slept with any guy that she had never met and and would never have to see again and be rid of the problem. But she didn't want to do that. Yeah. She felt, I guess, conflicted about putting this curse, yeah. uh, literally a curse oh. on somebody else. And it was only after she was just so scared that yeah. she finally relented and slept. Help. Yeah, so, slept with Greg, Greg. who. Greg. <laughs> oh, my Greg. God. That guy. Um, oh, but there's one thing I forgot. Uh, you mentioned that you had watched it the one time. Um, in the theater and then we you rewatched it and there are a few things I noticed because I think I watched it maybe once since we watched it in the theater but it was mm-hmm. a few years ago and then I rewatched it um, but I I wrote this note down um, <laughs> that I thought that this is not a typical like teen horror movie full of dummies mm-hmm. like they make a plan and they really they're like you know what and they stick together and they don't abandon each other and they, they like are really supportive of one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, the relationship between Jay and her sister is almost almost uh, beyond belief. I mean, I don't have a sister, but the level of closeness and support between the two of them, it's, it's kind of a strange credulity yeah. that they are that as a group of friends, I mean, they they do not leave her out in the cold. They're not like, at we all. Are, yeah we believe you, we're going to support you, we're going to do whatever is necessary. And it must have been summer vacation because none of them had any obligations whatsoever. That's what I assume because she keeps like, she keeps swimming even like before this all started. She's like getting in her uh, above ground. ground Yeah, her little above ground pool. But also uh, the there, it kind of shows, it pans over her mom's room sometimes. And there's like always wine and a glass. Yeah. And her mom's... She has the absentee mother yeah. character. Her mom's like asleep on top of the maid bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of noticed that this time around. I was like, oh, okay. So they kind of take care of each other, the, mm-hmm. the sisters. And yeah. so I kind of noticed that more. And then... It's funny because I just talked about how great the friends are, but then also rewatching, I kind of got the creeps from Paul, who was like staring. Like he was a little stalkery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's like yeah. staring daggers, and he's like, "Why'd you choose Greg?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why'd you oh why'd you gosh. give the you know sexually transmitted demon to Greg? I I would have slept with you. <laughs> I know, right? So I just yeah. I don't know. Something was a little off putting. In the end, he kind of he's like he's really smart, so he ha- he came yeah. up with a. A plan, yeah, and he was definitely devoted to her. Yeah, so he kind of was like, I, yeah. he, I guess, thought outside of the box. They came up with the pool plan, which a, I thought it was kind of interesting because in in so many scary movies, and Carrie really included, like calling back to our our last episode where when this when things started happening to her, she went to the library and researched, like trying to figure out what is this, what's going on, and and in so many scary movies that that's what the afflicted people do is they, you know, they they go to a priest or they go to a rabbi or they go to the library and they try and and figure out what's happening to them and understand what they need to do to stop it, whereas this. This movie, no research was done whatsoever. They were like, let's just electrocute it. Yeah. <laughs> if we put you in a pool and we lure it into the pool, and we, I mean, this thing is clearly supernatural. They had no reason to believe that electrocution would have any effect on it whatsoever. But that was their answer. With no background, no info, whatever, they're like, we're going with electrocution. Well, I mean, it was an independent film, Katie. They didn't have they didn't have the library budget. They didn't have the budget to get a library. Yeah, they didn't have the budget to get an Alta Vista search included into their to their their movie. Um, yeah, that is a good point. I kind of was. That's what I usually expect when something supernatural or crazy is happening. Like 
seek advisement from a, from somebody. They find the young priest and the old priest, or they, you know, go talk to the old librarian who sends them to the dusty stacks. Like there's mm-hmm. always a father Marin. where they try and discover. And, and that, I mean, that plays back into what we're talking about. There's no explanation of how Jeff came to understand what he understood. Yeah, that's about, true. About the evil, you know, I mean, he didn't go do any research. Not that there was any research to have even been done, you know, once because they knew with Jeff, they couldn't trace it back beyond him because he told them that that he didn't know, yeah. you know, the girl that that he quote unquote got it from. Mm-hmm. And speaking so. of Jeff, on the rewatch, I realized when his mother entered the door, mm-hmm. that was the naked woman who uh, was who he saw pursuing them in the at the very beginning yeah when james in the wheelchair yes oh that's troubling so uh i i noticed it that's the second, troubling the second Ooh. time around and because i think that also showed i mean she was nervous to begin with going to this guy's house but i yeah. think that made her like go oh like pause oh, a little she bit reacted to it because she recognized her i think so i mean i didn't catch that at all oh my god that's so disturbing <laughs> Now we're all disturbed more, Katie. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to, I need a minute. I know. So it's like whatever this entity is, it's uh, I don't know, taking this format to kind of mess with you and like or put your guard down or just really is it trying to frighten you or make you unsettled? Like it, like oh, this is more enjoyable if you're just scared shitless. Yeah. Totally. Well, and that kind of like uh, feeds into the the other thing when I was trying to identify what made this such a scary concept. And one of the angles that I could see being so frightening is the idea of evil that only you can see. Yeah. Is that, you know, when she's in a situation, she's got all these friends that are super supportive of her and they're there for her and they believe her that she's experiencing this thing, but they can't see it. Right. And so, you know, from their perspective, she's just acting crazy. Like she's reacting to nothing and they don't understand it. You know, there's the couple of instances specifically on the beach where they see evidence that there is something there acting that they can't see. But Mm -hmm. they see like, oh, I broke a lawn chair over thin air. You know, I know that there's something there that I can't see. But just generally this idea that you know, you're in a position as a person that nobody else can see what you're seeing. And I was trying to think of other examples in scary movies where that was the situation. And the only one that kept coming to mind was the sixth sense. I see dead people. <laughs> you totally. Oh my gosh. I don't know. And I was like, the other thing that kind of falls into that realm to some extent is um, the character from Insidious. Insidious um, 3 or just in... All of them. All of them. All, uh, 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 Lynn Shay's character mm-hmm. um, in in the Insidious movies because she is you know she she has her whatever it's the, not telepathy but cl- her clairvoyant or yeah yeah and and so there's instances like in the first one when she's looking up into the corner of the ceiling of the room describing to her assistant the demon she's seeing and he's sketching it mm-hmm. and so she's looking and there's nothing else there but yeah. she's seeing something that nobody else is mm-hmm. um, which I love. That scene, by the way, yeah. it's like one of my it's favorites. So scary! <laughs> it's terrifying. The demon. Oh my god! Fucking crazy. Okay. Anyway, I, I digress. But yeah, that that whole and I'm sure there's probably a hundred other examples that I just that aren't coming to mind for me. But that that concept in scary movies of there being something dangerous, something evil, something scary, and you're the only one that can see it, mm-hmm. and the people around you can't. And ex- like that, yeah, go it's ahead. isolating. Yeah completely isolating and I think in Insidious it's like she's paid and people kind of have to buy all their buy-in to her powers but people Mm -hmm. who it afflicts like for that kid in Sixth Sense or like what have you or Insidious like the girl who was seeing that entity uh, in her room like her dad was like what are you talking about no one's gonna believe you exactly and that is completely isolating which is you know, scary and, um, and scarier. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nobody believes you. Yeah. So I think, I don't know. I think her friends really just had to take a, had to take a leap of faith at least at and first. Really did. And I, I think that they, they did because they were young also. I think that was that, you know, there's, there's that dividing line in all these scary movies between, you know, the young and the old and the old never believe the young of what they're experiencing or what they're seeing until they get some glaring 
example. Yeah. Glaring proof. Like, Fudge is, like, finally... It's in Harry Potter, like, oh, oh, he's back, finally. And everyone's like, yeah, fucking finally. Like, we've been telling you, you son of a bitch. Okay, so. <laughs> so all of the young people in this movie, you yeah. know, they they put themselves out there. They believe her, they trust her, they support her. And they go to great lengths. And and in the case of, you know, one of them, like, personal injury um, to try and help mm-hmm. her and protect her. Yeah, which I thought was amazing. But, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that... Um, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about a little bit about what scenes really resonated, or you thought were spooky, scary, or just like you think about sometimes? Like I have scenes like that all the time for other movies, and yeah, um, no, I, I think yeah. for this one, for me, it's it, all of the top scary moments are when the entity is approaching mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, it's, uh, and, and it happens so many times during the movie and they're all scary. Some are scarier than others. Um, but uh, the the characterizations, like the the appearances of the people that they choose. I mean, like sometimes like the guy who's standing on the roof, who's completely naked, like that's super random. But sometimes yeah. they're really clothed. It's there's no rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like the when she did encounter the woman in her kitchen. Oh. Are you saying that that's the woman that was Jeff's mom? No. Oh, no. You're saying Jeff's mom was the one at the very beginning when she's in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Like walking through the... In the parking garage. Whatever okay. that meadow... I don't know. Like that field right outside the parking garage. Yeah. It, actually, yeah. I read that it's like a Packard plant that was oh. kind of abandoned in Detroit. But... Yeah, because they're not making Packards anymore. Right, yeah. But the, um, the woman that she sees in her kitchen, partly because that's one of the few times that she's, or not one of the few times, but it's one of the times that she's in physical close proximity. Oh, she's like, super she's close. Yeah. And and the woman is semi-nude and she's urinating. Mm-hmm. Like as she walks towards her, like you're seeing it. And, and it's like something about that that's like a little extra unsettling and that it's very physically close. And in that scene, they actually make the move to slow motion. So Jay's response is her her drawing back and, and, and responding and then running out of the room is in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that scene was really, was disturbing to me. Um, but basically mm-hmm. for me, all of the top scary moments were anytime you, you saw a physical embodiment of the entity approaching because it was just that, that ominous plotting it's coming, especially yeah. when they were on the beach and she had her back to it and uh-huh. nobody saw it coming until it actually had her. And as the viewer, we just think it's Yara behind her. Yeah. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. And then we see her in the water. Like, Wait a minute, she's in the water. And we're like, oh, shit. oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, to to like add on to what you said when you see the the entity coming, I loved um just the panning like when they're look they go to look at the yearbook to find out who Jeff actually is and uh-huh. you see the entity oh. walking. Yes. like outside of the school and like you see the camera just panning it pat, panning around yeah. yeah which is terrifying and i just those long scenes like in any movie but especially in horror where it's like a long scene of just not cut and it's un you know mm-hmm. edited heavily it's just uh always really unsettling and crazy yeah. feeling there were to a me. lot of I feel like uh, shots that were really well chosen and well done in this, like a lot of them uh, with the, with driving scenes or going down a road or the, the street or outside of their house in their suburban neighborhood where the camera angles and the shots were just really beautifully framed Mm -hmm. and then coupled with the really great music. That's all it took to make it really, really scary. Yeah. Well, I, um, I think I would add for my, you know, what I just said a moment ago about the panning and seeing the entity just walking, walking, but the beginning scene, that first opening scene, just like, just right out of the gate where the girl, it just, it's like a suburban neighborhood mm-hmm. and you see a girl run out of her house and she's in, wearing in like kind of a little kind of negligee shorty set and high heels. And so it, it's like very, odd it definitely is odd and then 
her dad, I think, runs out of the house. Is like, mm-hmm. are you okay? Is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Her neighbor that's unloading the back of her minivan is like, do you need help? And she's like, no. Yeah. And then she does like a, she runs, but does like a wide kind of, it feels yeah. like she's kind of trying to make space between herself yeah, and something. something. Yeah. yeah. And as the viewer, let's say you're, you're just watching it and you're like, for the first time and you're like, what is, what's going on? She, she just ran back into the house. She just ran out. She <laughs> ran back in the house. She runs back out with her car keys, gets mm-hmm. in the car, drives away. Um, and then she's also ends up at the beach um, yeah. at the water there, too. And she's like sitting in the dark. With her headlights shining on Yeah, her. with the headlights. And she calls her dad and she's like, I'm really sorry about everything. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, you know, such a shit. Then that's the end of the scene. And then it's like morning light. And her, she's dead, and her yeah. leg is like broke. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a like, really jarring cut. It's completely to a brutal dead body image. Yeah, and her leg is like at a very oh, scary, like squeamish yeah. angle, and the yeah. other leg is completely like snapped off. And, yeah. and then that's the end of the scene, and you're like, yeah, and they're like, oh, <laughs> you, we're not going to tell you anything else about her. You're like, we're going to move on to something else. You're like, what the fuck am I? How? What is what this about? For? <laughs> of course, in the theater, when I watch this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I want to know more. That is stage, for sure. <laughs> that was my, but it was amazing, scary. Yeah. To go from that opening scene to my question for you with the closing scene, as you described, because we know that they, you know, they believed that they destroyed the entity with their pool endeavor, but right. then Jay and Paul do sleep together. And then they kind of seem to have a budding relationship. And the final scene is them walking down their suburban sidewalk hand in hand. And there's somebody in the far distance behind them, just walking along behind them. Yeah. And that, so you're left. It's ambiguous. Wondering. We don't yeah. really know. How do you feel about that kind of ending? Well, I want to add, though, that before that ending, you see Paul driving in an area that is maybe kind of more urban and there's uh, sex He's workers. Two, yeah, two sex workers on the side of the road. And you don't you don't really know. It doesn't show. But you kind of can assume that maybe he was like, I'm going to pass this on in case. Oh, God, I, I didn't make that. A, oh, you're so smart. <laughs> I mean, I have my moments, but. I mean, I could be like leaping, making leaps. No, they, but... they did look at each other. And I thought that they were kind of looking at each other in that way because maybe Paul was suspecting that one of those was the entity. And that's why it was looking at him. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but I don't no, know. That's, yeah. that's a really interesting supposition that he went and slept with a sex worker just in case. Maybe, yeah. It was actually real so that he would have passed it on. Right, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's was, that was my assumption. Like he's with Jay, he's, he's glad to be with her, but also just in case, you know, he believed her and saw evidence himself. And he was like, I had a huge, like I had scratches on my torso from this creature. So this is a, this is real. And then. But the danger in that is, is that uh, with the same thing with Jeff and Jay is that just passing it on is one thing, but if you don't pass on information with it. And the entity kills the person you slept with, then it becomes your problem again. It comes back after you. It just comes back, unless you. Yeah. So it's not. It's not as simple as just sleeping with someone else because you have to invest more in that to trying to ensure their them at least passing it on. Maybe Otherwise, true. Yeah. Still I mean, very true. But maybe, maybe he. This is maybe all me. Can. This is all me. Like thinking out loud. Maybe he chose a sex worker keeping in mind that they would pass it on to somebody else and somebody else probably have sex with someone else yeah that is really that would paul because we know paul is we know paul is very smart paul's a smart guy so got that face but i mean the the movie doesn't show him doing that but that was my assumption so and that was when i saw them you know not having those epiphanies that i'm having right now that are blowing my mind is that (laughs) two of them uh walking away at the end with the thing pursuing them is Mm -hmm. the question is you know is that actually someone pursuing them or is it just another person on the sidewalk and then you know it it was kind of the idea that it's it's after both of them at that point yeah Um, you don't know because they're adjacent in in line yeah we don't know we don't know 
<laughs> it was a good. That was a good one. I loved it. That was a good one. I loved the suggestion to bring up your the scariest moments or what we thought was like the most compelling. Yeah. So that was that was great. Um, but I think you. I, mean, I do have my my parent. You parent have your parent corner. One. Yeah. Like, what um, do you? Yeah. What's your recommendation? Is Grace going to redeem myself? Is Grace watching this with you? No. With this, no. No. <laughs> my twelve-year-old daughter did not watch this with me. Uh, okay. Uh, so what I tried to do was make an actual, you know, hopefully it'll be a repeatable format for our parent evaluation. Um, some consistent criteria. An expert. Don't sue us. <laughs> Opinion. Uh, so the MPAA reading rating on this movie was R, which, you know, many of them are. Um, there's factors that can lead to an R rating, such as nudity and swearing and gore, um, all of which I might show a 10-year-old and be totally fine with. So mm-hmm. an R rating to me is not, it's not enough information, which yeah. is why there are other sources out there for, for parents. Um, and one of those, as we mentioned in the last one, is Common Sense Media. Um, which is a fairly conservative website, but aside from the conservative origins, the information it gives is just 100% um, actual. You know, it's it's not slanted. It's it's a very fair shake on movies. And mm-hmm. um, for Common Sense Media, for this film, they did recommend a uh, 16, 17-year-old plus uh, age range for viewership. In case you're uh, sexually active. Here, watch this <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> At the same time, they, they recognized that it was a really well-done movie. It got four out of five stars. They mm-hmm. used the word masterful when describing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the categories that Common Sense Media ranks, in addition to, um, you know, sex and nudity, drinking, uh, smoking, alcohol, or not alcohol, but drug usage and all sorts of things. One of the categories is positive role models and representations. And in the case of It Follows, it said not present. Hmm. <laughs> Which, well, you know, make make your own arguments. But um, usually for me, in terms of trying to show a scary movie to my daughter, um, I, if there are sex scenes that are too graphic, too gratuitous, um, my attitude is like, okay, well, we just skip them. She covers her eyes. I fast forward, you know, whatever I'm prepared. And we just skip over them with, and I'm, I'm absolutely all for that to like show a scary movie to a younger kid. Um, and so that they can enjoy the movie and just cut those parts out. But the whole theme of this movie revolves around sex mm-hmm. and many of the scariest moments involve full frontal nudity mm-hmm. which that's separate from a sex scene you know like I can be comfortable with like well that's just the human body like I'm fine with you seeing a naked human walking towards someone which is different from seeing a, uh, a scene where people are having intercourse like those those are two things that you would differentiate between mm-hmm. um, although the guy on the roof had a massive that was, bush. That was unnecessary. Yeah. Massive. Big bush <laughs> standing on your roof. Not to shame shame you. Ever, shame, all, not to shame man bush. Any, but, any of our four listeners. Yeah, um, Meredith you, did not want it on her roof. You, <laughs> I just don't want that on my roof. Okay? Sue me. All right. Okay. And the interesting thing with, with this movie is that there is a lot of graphic nudity. None of it took place during any of the sex scenes. All no, of the sex yeah. scenes were completely sanitized. You didn't even see breasts during any of the actual sex scenes. Mm-hmm. The only time that you saw full nudity was when the entity was nude while it was pursuing the victim. Which is also uh, meant to be unsettling to yes, us it, as a viewer. It makes people uncomfortable, so yeah. it contributes to that. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but basically, the the whole the movie would not be nearly as enjoyable if you skipped over all of those questionable or adult parts. Mm-hmm. And so it, like, once you've sanitized it to that point, what's the point in watching it? Yeah. Because you've, you've removed everything about it that makes it unsettling and scary. So I think that in this case, I would agree with common sense media and say, definitely wait until they're old enough to see it in its entirety, because then they would actually appreciate it and enjoy it. Yeah. Because you can't just pluck the sex scenes out and have the movie still be good in their absence. Yeah. It's too intrinsic. Yeah. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Okay. So, in other words, Grace will be watching this when she's uh, 15, 16? In a couple years. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. I, I mean, at least 14. I could see me bending at 14, but, you know, 16 would probably be safer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was, like, 14 when I had my first boyfriend. I was, like, making out, whatever. I'm pretty... Hurt. I mean, I would I would have probably been fine watching this movie at the time, but, you know... Because, yeah. like know. I said, the, the sex scenes are not graphic like not even remotely like jay yeah. in the car she has her clothes on basically yeah, she has her bra on you don't see anything when they're in the hospital you don't see anything nothing like at all every, yeah yeah every sex scene is very the sex scenes are pg like the graphic part the only one that where they kind of bridge the gap is greg's death when oh. she walks in and sees the entity killing him that's mm-hmm. the only time that you you see what the entity actually does, and it's mounted him. That also looks like his mother. Okay, are we going into like Oedipus <laughs> issues in this movie? I didn't know I'd be thinking so deeply about, yeah. about yeah. a horror movie. That's, that's insult to injury when <laughs> you're dying, and it's it's because your mother's straddling you're like, you. No, mom. Oh my god. Mom, I told you to knock before you came in. Oh my god. He's like, what, mom? <laughs> like. <laughs> that was a crazy scene, which I loved, but also yeah, was horrifying. That was, that was a high point scene. It, <laughs> it really escalated things. <laughs> She's like, oh crap, I had to go like hook up with some dudes on a fucking boat <laughs> really quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. But we also had another, like moving on from the movie It Follows, you had wanted to mention the idea because of uh, Carrie and then the remake of Carrie, the idea or just kind of definitions of what a franchise is, sequel, all that stuff, because I have no idea. And if we're making a podcast about movies, I mean, it's horror. It would be nice (laughs) to know because I don't know. Yeah, it's relevant. It's relevant. And the nice thing about this is like this isn't, um, you know, peer reviewed scientific data. (laughs) None of this is important enough Mm -mm. to Um, to be hard and fast. But after, you know, we recorded our Carrie episode and I I Googled some stuff and read a couple of articles. Um, I I kind of uh, familiarized myself with some like general consensus of of these terms and what they're used for. Okay. Um, And basically like, you know, uh, franchise, the the concept, there's, there's different there's different types of movies that would fall into that category. There's the sequel, obviously, which is a movie where the storyline continues from the movie before it. Mm-hmm. There's the prequel where the storyline precedes content of the movie before it. Um, there is the crossover, which is a sequel of two or more different movies. And so uh, one of the articles that I read was interesting. It um, gave some examples okay. of crossovers. Um, the oldest one being Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. <laughs> which I love the whole universal monsters uh, scenario where they were like, Hey, let's, let's take this monster and that monster and put them in a movie together. Okay. You just, which then you just made me, on, you just made me realize, uh, cause what? my boyfriend and I went to uh, universal like before COVID times in yeah. during Halloween and they had mm-hmm. all these haunted houses and they had, uh, I think Wolfman, like a haunted house with those different creatures. And I was like, what the fuck? Why are they doing this? It's from Universal. Okay. Thanks yeah, Universal for... owns all of those classic monsters. Yeah, thanks for clarifying yeah. it for me uh, two years later. Thank you for that. <laughs> Do what I, I know. <laughs> that opened the gate for one of my, I, I'm not ashamed to say it loud and proud. I love Freddy versus Jason. I love Alien versus Predator. <laughs> I've just last night I watched the Godzilla versus Kong movie. Not great. Sorry to say. Oh. I, um, I I watched like half of it and fell asleep. But yeah, it not it didn't live. Up. I mean, Kong Skull Island was spectacular. The Godzilla the most recent Godzilla movie, King of Monsters, was really enjoyable. This one was I I was disappointed. Um, so and franchise then, crossovers, is that what that is you're yeah, saying? Yeah, these are all crossovers. Okay. And then technically another example of crossovers is the Avengers movies because it is a crossover of Iron Man and Captain America and Hulk all coming together into one movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've got sequels, prequels, crossovers. Next we've got remakes, which are a brand new version of an older movie that does not continue the story. Right. So yeah. okay. it takes the original story and redoes it. Like 
like our last movie was was the Carrie, Carrie and yeah. then the remake or like the the Amityville like the original Amityville horror and then the Ryan Reynolds remake where mm-hmm. it's it's truly the same story mm-hmm. and they just have made it again with new performers yeah um then they they differentiate between remake and reboot which uh is defined as the same as a remake but it's usually for an entire franchise not for a solo film for example like Batman or Star Trek where it's there there's a whole you know Batman legacy of multiple movies and then when they decide to start fresh rather than that being a remake because they're not necessarily remaking one specific film mm-hmm. in that Batman legacy they're kind of remaking the whole concept that's what's con- considered a reboot right that makes sense okay like yeah. like George Clooney Batman and then Ben Affleck Batman and then there's Christian Bale just yeah like okay yeah. All right. um, the interesting thing, uh, one of the articles cited this, this is so fascinating, which is, you know, how this all gets into really minutia that is just fun for nerds and not actually, you know, important. Um, but the idea <laughs> of Ocean's Eleven, where the original Ocean's Eleven with Frank Sinatra and the Rat Pack, mm-hmm. which I watched, it's garbage. I was so disappointed. Oh, <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> You have the original Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack gets remade. So that's a remake with the George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, that spectacular cast. Mm -hmm. But that that remake became a whole new franchise because then they made Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13, and then Ocean's 8. So you have a remake that evolved into a reboot. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So basically, this made a lot of money. Let's let's do this again. You know, all of it comes down to what's going to make money. Exactly. Is this yeah. going to make money? That's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then those are all different um, definitions of components that could make up a franchise. Um, some other terms that came across was the idea of canon, which is defined as officially accepted material that makes up a universe. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about um, Marvel or DC makes more sense in this context where you have, you have all the comic books, you have all of these characters and these backstories and everything that's already established. All of that information makes up the canon of Marvel or the canon of the DC universe. Mm -hmm. Um, The universe was kind of defined as um, something that connects different movies into one overarching story. Right. And okay. so that's okay. that's relevant with Marvel. That I think with horror movies would apply best to the Conjuring movies, because there is where it's a shared universe that that connects those different movies um, through characters and and events that link together in different times in history. But they're they're separate movies with their separate stories, and they're not remakes and they're not reboots. But they all fit together. They're all related. Like the Ed and Lorraine Warren. Kind of exactly, and also yeah. Stephen King's like universe because yeah, if you look at the uh, the Castle Rock miniseries, yeah, you know that really demonstrates you know taking because Castle Rock is a fictional town that he created for so many of his stories, and so the idea of taking all of his stories that took place in that town and and making it in creating a reality where all of those events actually did take place mm-hmm. in this one town. and they're all kind of like mentioned sometimes like oh yeah, uh, you know dairy yeah. maine this weird stuff happened or you know whatever <laughs> and you're like ooh, it <laughs> but also stay away from me <laughs> yeah no thank you yeah um and so then last would be the idea of a franchise which uh, you know was kind of defined as a group of movies that was comprised of sequels prequels crossovers remakes reboots and or spinoffs and so that i think franchise would be most applied when you have you know we think of like franchises of um fast food chains mm-hmm. where it's kind of like someone owns the original idea and and you're you're offshooting and and making your your branch of that idea. So our franchise is like like Nightmare on Elm Street, and then all the pre- ones that come after that. Or what would you yeah, would maybe, be like an example? That, yeah, or, that's something. That, I mean, because these obviously all these movies can be more than one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be part of a universe and also a sequel or also a reboot and a crossover. You know, it's it's very fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we came up with this question when we were talking about Carrie and um, 
the the idea that because there was the original Carrie movie, then there was a Carrie sequel that yeah. we know it was a sequel because the story continued past the story that was contained in the original movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't discuss the sequel, but we discussed the remake, which we know was a remake because it was the exact same story told again with no continuation. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the question was, what was the whole thing a franchise or was it a universe? And I don't, I don't think it qualifies. As it's just a sequel. Them. Yeah. There was a sequel and there was a remake. Right. Yeah. Okay. But maybe we could use the term canon in that case, because you have the um, you have the content of Stephen King's original story mm-hmm. that it was interpreted in various ways in the original movie and the sequel in different ways. You know, we talked about how they the two movies portrayed different angles of the story in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And then with the sequel, we didn't speak to, and I don't think either of us actually watched. Did you watch Rage, Carrie 2? I, I did about in like 2000, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think I was I, in I, high school. It was such a long time ago. Yeah. It was. It was yeah, I was in the 90s. Um, and so that's one where, you know, technically it would have been a sequel, but it could still fall under the concept of canon because it's it's the generally accepted uh, content of that world, mm-hmm. you know. It's also mentioned, I think, I can't remember what Stephen King book or m- movie or show, but it's briefly mentioned where it's like, I mean, it's like instant. It's like an article or something. It's like house is covered with rocks unexplained um, where they like mention Carrie's house and how it ended up kind of just like all smashed with rocks and, and unexplicable yeah. force. Um, yeah. But it's very brief, and uh, but I noticed it. I was like, oh, it's obviously like an Easter egg, but I yeah. can't remember where. I wouldn't be surprised if that was Castle Rock. Probably, though, yeah. I don't know. Even though Carrie didn't take place in the city of Castle Rock, no. I can mm-hmm. see them absorbing it anyway, because that's the story in the in the book. Um and they don't, they barely reference it in, in the original or the remake, but in the book, that's the first instance of Carrie's uh, telekinesis is when she's a, a toddler. She's like three or four and her mom is punishing her for something. And she uh, calls down, there's like a, a, a rain of stones on their home and just their home, no houses around it, mm-hmm. gets struck by these stones. And that's something that is, you know, is described at length in the book. And like I say, I think it's it's referenced peripherally in maybe one of the movies, but I could see the Castle Rock miniseries absorbing that into like, a, oh, this happened in our town once upon a time, just for mm-hmm. like super fans to recognize and be like, oh, that was Carrie. Yeah, like nerds like me. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, Easter well, egg. That's, that's I'm so much excited. the Marvel stuff is too, is for them to throw little nuggets in there or even Star Wars, things like that, where, you know, the people that are really invested in it and, and pay attention and know all the details for them to be able to spot one little thing and be, get real excited because it's a reference to something that they get. Mm-hmm. And then you that's feel smart. For the entertainment. You feel smart for like the rest yeah, of the day. You feel smart. You feel special and included. It's like knowing how to order your Starbucks drink in the exact right language. <laughs> of the barista like, and you're like, their- I'm so cool. And then the next day you're knocked down a peg or two because nobody cares except for like yeah, you. Because there are enough other people out there <laughs> like you and the internet will bring you together. Yeah. Nerds unite <laughs> and our four listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are united okay, so too. My my summary with all of this is um, so I described the Marvel universe is a franchise consisting of sequels, crossovers, and spinoffs. The Carrie 1976 movie is an adaptation of a book. Rage Carrie 2 is a sequel. The Carrie TV 2002 and the Carrie 2013 movie are remakes, mm-hmm. and so all of them don't don't really qualify as a franchise in their entirety but i i think with that we could safely use the the term canon and i think going forward as we talk about stephen king stuff in the future i think i'm going to be comfortable with using the the word canon to describe his his contribution to stories his universe because he's he's made a he's had many years to build build up Many. He lives in the universe. He lives there, <laughs> and I'm, I'm here for it, and I want to know yeah. all about it. <laughs> yeah, please bring me in. <laughs> well, I think that was a great episode of talking about It Follows and our discussion about 
your what you brought to the table for uh you know sequels canon yeah. prequels franchise going forward i mean i will try i'm not going to make any promises but i'll try yeah. you can correct me i'll make a script sheet <laughs> yeah. <that we> reference. <laughs> but speaking of movies and sequel or prequel our next movie that we're going to be talking about is the 2014 movie called ouija and the prequel that came out, I think, when did it come out? 2016. 2016. So we'll be talking about that, listeners, if you'd like to watch it ahead of time and then listen to, you know, our thoughts and what we think about it or what we found resonated for us, you know, like, you know, t- check it out. Anyway, do you have any ads or we'll wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.